Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Having a high self-awareness is one of the best currencies you can have as a business leader. You know where you're going, what your strengths are, and importantly, how to use them. Gavin Rubenstein, one of the faces of Amazon's hit show, Lux Listings, has built a brand around his ability to pull out the delicate levers of a client-facing industry, and that's called real estate. I first met Gavin when he was a young upstart with Ray White Real Estate right here in Sydney. The guy's been voted Ray White's top New South Wales agent seven times in a row, and now Gavin is venturing out on his own, spreading his wings beyond Ray White under the Gavin Rubenstein Group. The guy knows how to sell homes, and more importantly, he knows how to sell himself. Unlike other real estate agents, Gavin puts himself in the front of the screen, which has ruffled a few feathers across his industry. So how does Gavin separate himself from an ego-driven pack? Gavin and I discuss refining your craft, building momentum, and why securing the deal should be the last thing on your list. So let's get into it. We are talking today to Gavin Rubenstein, who's probably, in my view, one of the, uh, one of, and there's obviously a number of them in this country, but certainly in Sydney, epitomizes what I would consider, consider a modern version, an honest version of great salespeople in this country and happens to be in the real estate agency <laughs> environment. So Gavin Rubenstein, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you having me. I know I remember when you were a young bloke. I'm still really, a young bloke. Come on, young, don't start 30s, on that foot. But you're a really young bloke, like in your early 20s yeah. and uh, you were selling properties for us and uh, – and it was, I think it was about 2010. Yep. And we, it was GFC. Um, we had to get rid of a whole lot of properties because we panicked and we wish we hadn't have, but we got rid of <laughs> some properties and a number of properties, which you sold for us. Um, you know, you, you, I have to declare you're a friend of the family. You know my kids. You went to, I don't know if you went to school with my kids or not, but you know my kids. Sure. Um, you know a lot of my kids' mates, blah, blah, blah. So, you, you know, you're a new suburbs dude. Yep. As my boys were, ah. Uh, and, uh, but you were uh, pretty much a goer then, a bit of a hot shot, to be frank with you. Uh, you know, like you stood out amongst the crowd in that you made buyers buy. And I want to go back to that period, maybe even go a little bit beyond that period. Who's Gavin Rubenstein when he was 20? Where did um, he come from? Where, like, uh, what's the deal? Where'd you go to school? What, you know, what, what were you aspiring to do then? 
Yeah, so um, I was Eastern Suburbs born and raised. Um, you know, my parents definitely gave me a lot of support in terms of love, um, gave me a lot of support in terms of education. I went to a private school. Um, but there was no real financial support, not because they didn't want to, but because they didn't have it to give. So like, and when I say that, like I wasn't given $20 to start a business. I wasn't given $100 to buy my first property. I wasn't – so there was none of that. Their view was, you know, obviously – we're going to give our kids as much love as we possibly can. We're going to give them the best education, then it's over to them. So the question, where was I at 20? Um, I just finished school. Um, my mother was crying almost daily about what my future was going to look like because she had sacrificed everything to give me this education in the hope that I would, you know, maybe go to university or get a tertiary education or, you know, make something of myself. And then at that point, it didn't look like I was going to um, finish school, took a gap year, moved to London. Um, a lot of my friends who I'd known were kind of going on this, uh, you know, Europe gap year after school. I, I didn't have the money to do that. So what I thought at the time because of the exchange rate being three to one was I'd go to London early, get a job, earn the pound in my pocket, maybe not go as many places, but go to a couple of places and enjoy them more than say a, a backpacker traveler type would because I'd have the pound. Um, ran nightclubs in London for, for just under two years. And then, um, you know, kind of got to a point where I was like, what does my future look like? Um, this nightclub scene is fun, but it doesn't have longevity. And um, what what are really my options here? I don't like studying. Um, I'm, I'm relatively good with people. I've got a high level of self-belief. No idea where that came from even then because I kind of hadn't done anything. Um, and people my whole life had been telling me, like, try this thing try this real estate thing, you know, and it kind of, it kind of fit what was available to me at the time. I, I wish I had some sort of like, you know, cool story to tell you that I was born for it, uh, which I, I know my son esoteric, I genuinely was, but I didn't know it at the time, right? It just fit. And at the time I was looking at a couple of the guys in the game that, you know, look pretty cool. And like who? Um, at, at the time I, there was no one really that stand out, but just the, the industry in general, um, to me that seemed attractive because, you know, they're rocking suits every day. They're hopping in and out of nice cars. So I'm like, well, what, what's really the downside here? I'm just going to give it a go. And so when I was in London, had emailed a couple of people who I had seen were um, doing really well in the industry at the time. And again, going back to this like high level of self-belief, like I didn't even know these guys and they were at the top and I was reaching out to them saying, look, I'm coming back to Sydney. I've got no experience, but um, would you be open to kind of giving me a go? And then when I got here, I had multiple interviews. I remember I, I wrote a letter and I went to Double Bay because Double Bay was where I wanted to be because eventually I wanted to sell the big houses. And I knew at that time, it's a little bit different now, but at that time that's where I needed to build in order to place myself in that market. Um, Is that because of the mathematics though? Because, you know, if I get a percentage of, you know, Three million. It's yeah. better than getting a, the same percentage of a million. Did you do the mathematics? Was that what's going through your head? Absolutely not. I'm um I'm a sucker for like quality and luxury and and high end in every category of life. And um just naturally, again, don't know where that came from. Maybe um because I never had it growing up, but was surrounded by it at private schools, a lot of you know close relationships, with a lot of people, and hung out with a lot of wealthy families growing up. Maybe um I was the guy who never had it. You long for it. Possibly. But did you feel comfortable with it? Super. Yeah, so luxury so luxury makes you feel comfortable or you feel comfortable in that environment? I just I enjoy it. I like I like high quality in all aspects of life, right? Um 
So, yeah, whether it was comfortable, whether I was good at it, whatever it was, I just naturally, you know, gravitated towards that. And, you know, there are some guys in like, just digress for a second, Quakers Hill, for example, making huge money when you talk about mathematics. Some of these guys making more money than I am. Um, but I would have, I'd hate going to work every single day selling those sorts of properties. And it's no disrespect to people who own those sorts of properties. It's just where my passion naturally gravitates towards and what I enjoy doing. And you, you knew that at 20? You, yeah, I did. I did. So well, what do you mean by? Um, like I always had expensive taste. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> but expensive taste can be a bit scary. Um, uh, you ask my brother, he'll tell you it's very scary. Yeah, well, I know your brother, Joe, because he used to work for me many, many years <laughs> you ago. You did, yeah. Um, it can be pretty scary, uh, expensive taste, or, or, or luxury can be a bit intimidating yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah. Because it's sort of also has the other thing, a big price tag on it can be unaffordable. Yeah. It can also sort of look a little bit elitist. Yeah. You know, like, you're, you know, you're in that elitist territory. Um, it was aspirational to me. Therefore, if, so you saw it as aspirational. Yeah. You aspired to be in that category. Yeah, I still do. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely motivated by the certain clients and people I represent. I learn from them. I'm, you know, I'm in a great position. They get the best out of me. So for, for me, this whole thing is a learning experience even today. Um, and so I knew, you know, Double Bay was where I needed to be to be in this market to follow or align with my passion. Um, because I kind of, like I was never the smartest kid and not the smartest guy today. But one thing, you know, I think well, why I do you think that though? What, 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 oh, because I'm, I'm. That's very uh, self-effacing. But, 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 but I'm, I'm not. And I think I've got high self-awareness to know, you know, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. So whatever your definition of smart is, everyone's may be different. Yeah, yeah. You know, to me, my definition of smart is my brother, as an example. You know, very highly educated, multiple degrees, understands numbers, gets mathematics really well. I'm not saying I don't get mathematics, obviously. I've got to understand numbers to do what I do. But just, um, you know, reads hundreds of books and he loves to study, very academic. You know, that that's my definition of smart. To me, I'm not in that category, but I'm a really good listener and I'm a really damn good learner. And so I used to listen to people and podcasts um, and watch videos and consume that sort of content and knew that early on it was important that I did what I enjoyed doing if I wanted, you know, longevity and I wanted to, to be good at it. But do you think that's uh... – just another form of smart. Um, you know, there is a self-awareness is really important in terms of smarts from yeah. my point of view. Knowledge is different. Yeah. But Jared, your brother, has got specific knowledge. Freak. But he's got specific knowledge. Freak, it's, yeah. It sits in a niche. Yeah. Um, your knowledge sits in a niche too. Um, but you, know, you know all the prices of all the properties but your, that are being sold for your oh, yeah. clients. And oh, look, your, I'm a freak in that area, 100%. So, so when you say – you're not that smart. Um, would it be fair enough, fairer as a statement to say that your chosen niche doesn't require you to read books and books and books and books and books, but at the same time requires you to have a self-awareness of your strengths and weaknesses, but importantly to have your finger on the pulse? I, I've never really thought of that. I mean, I just think I'm a wholehearted specialist in what I do. Um, you know, I, I do believe in my space. Um, because of what I've sacrificed, given and focused on over the last 15 years, I'm in a position that, um, you know, there are only a couple of others in and around there in that in that space, in that apex of what it is to be a real estate practitioner in Australia. Um, but that's I've interesting, never, practitioner. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. No. That's a very interesting way of referring to an agent yeah. um, because – a real estate practitioner is a, if you don't mind me saying, is a smarter way of describing it. <laughs> and a practitioner is somebody who is 
diagnostic, yeah. someone who is analytic, yeah. someone who has people coming in to see them all the time what is it? and and you're making you're referring them onto other places if you need to but yeah. you're drawing out a prescription for them in terms of what they need to do yeah. and they have enough respect for you that um, they would also see you as a practitioner. So whilst you say you don't see yourself as particularly smart, I think you must be that smart right. to put yourself into be a practitioner position. Therefore, because what I'm saying here, what I want to get to, Gavin, is it seems to me that Gavin Rubenstein has been building a brand for a long time. Long time. A long time. And Gavin Rubenstein has sat down and worked out, well, what does that brand got to sound like, look like, feel like? And I, I can go back to a guy. Mm. You, I think you might know him, but his name was Bart Doff. Yeah. Now, Gentlemen, rest in peace. Absolutely. Rest in peace. But Bart Doff at Langan Simmons. Double Bay. When he, he was He was dominated. He, yeah. When he was your age, I knew him. I, I go back that far. He was my choice. He's the dude that I got to sell everything that we built yeah. and developed in those days. Bart was my guy. Yeah. And I didn't use anybody else. I just used Bart. I had a few other, used a few other guys from time to time, but Bart was the dude. We haven't seen a Bart doll for a long time since he passed away and Bart sort of retired out of business 10, 15 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. But it's funny that all of a sudden this Kid called Gavin Rubenstein jumps up on the stage, <laughs> and uh, Bart was also very humble but very knowledgeable. But also, Bart had this way of moderating between buyer and seller a deal, because in the day that's what the buyer wants and that's what the seller wants. Correct. Get me a deal. Correct. Meet me. Get me the two parts of the market to meet. And it's emotional. And it's and there's emotions in flying and expect, really, yeah. expectations about yeah. my price and expectations about what I'm going to pay as a buyer, what it's worth, and people can get a little bit weird about it and uh, the bathroom shit and the vendor might think the bathroom's fantastic. So Bart had this ability to moderate between individuals. So he's a good people person. Sure. And Bart was the smartest real estate I've ever met, agent I've ever met. Yeah. So I see a lot of similarities between you and Bart Doff. Well, I mean, I take that as a huge compliment. I, I mean, um, that's the highest respect to me because when I did get into real estate um, and I started to work out, hey, I'm good at this and went all in, I started to study because I really developed a passion around it, some of the greats in in the game. And he was one of the people that definitely stood out. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I mimic him or, or try to be like him, but I definitely took inspiration from, you know, the legacy that he created. There's a few of those, those, those guys I really kind of thought were great that I looked at, um, that gave me inspiration. None that I said, Hey, I want to be the next Bart Doff or John McGrath. You know, I always wanted to be Gavin Rubenstein, but there were some in particular that gave me inspiration and lessons at the time. You know, Tom Panos, I know you're a big advocate and a friend of his, you know, his, his podcast and what he's been doing for the real estate industry for his career is just completely invaluable. So, you know, when I first got into it, I was watching podcasts with him and uh, John McGrath, with him and Adrian Bowe. And, and the lessons that these guys just talking about their success taught me were huge in building my foundation and and, and knowledge at, at the well, beginning. Well, Tommy's going to be in here in a couple of weeks. Um, great mate of mine. But but Tommy's great when it comes to training real estate agents. He's great, man. Um, and he's a great auctioneer. Champion. Um, a real character personality, but Tommy's not the guy who you go to to say, "Mate, will you sell my property for me?" No, sure, and that's never been the position. That's never been his positioning. He's never tried to say, "I'm Tom Panos and I want to sell your house." Um, he kind of, with, with the money that he makes, um, you oh, know, yeah. off of his coaching, he doesn't have to sell houses because he's he's making as much as the top agents, if not more, than a lot of them. And he does what he enjoys. Correct, he, and that's, he loves it. Yeah, and that's the key, right? Um, just going back to making passion your paycheck, which has always been. 
you know, a, a priority for me. So, so um, if if you, because I want to really dig into the brand piece. Um, so you, whilst you didn't model yourself on anyone in particular, you, and which by the way, everyone does with brands, you borrowed characteristics, perhaps. I borrowed that char- suited you. Correct, and I, I borrowed characteristics from. I went multifaceted. I wasn't just the real estate space. You know, I'm I'm big into athlete space. Big. There's certain sports that I'm fanatical about. You talk about luxury property being on the top of my passion list. NBA basketball is right up there with it, if not on the same Did level. Did you wear? The, were you one of those kids who, when they were like 12, 13, walked around and you know some NBA um, basketball athletes and had long shorts and those singlets and those boots? Yeah, but but I funny enough, I got more into it the older I got, the more into business I got because I noticed the similarities between, say, the benefits and the secrets, if you like, of team sport and how that can be applied to business and how you can, you know, really um, take your business to the next level from that. And there were a lot of kind of things I would notice just going back to what my, one of my strengths is listening, paying attention, learning, you know, that were applicable to real estate that I could use kind of, you know, in, in my own sort of way. Look, unfortunately for reasons outside of my control, no matter how hard I would have trained in the gym, I was never going to play basketball. You know what I'm saying? Or do chin-ups like your brother did. <laughs> and I, that I could have worked out if that was my passion. I mean, chin-ups is not governed by height, but I'm, I'm saying. Strength to weight ratio. Correct. Yeah. So, so, but I mean, basketball is a whole different game, right? It doesn't matter. And I'm mentally a very determined, focused individual. You know, I would, if it's something I like, I'm I'm almost obsessive, right? Um, I am obsessive. I'll That's say. okay. I, yeah, I am. If if there's something I like, but but no why matter- were you so apologetic about that? About <sighs> tell me about that because because I mean a lot of people think being obsessive it's a it's a mental disorder or something. Yeah, you, you're happy to admit it, but then you got a little bit apologetic about it. Just explain that. I don't think I don't think everybody can relate to it. I think it's um, I think that level of relentlessness and focus and tunnel vision is unique. Um, you know, and I can say that because like I own a business now I have for the last three years, I see people come and go. I've, I'm continually learning this skill of what it is to manage people and grow culture and do all of these things. Um, and I now more than ever realize how unique my mindset is. So, I mean, I don't, I didn't even realize I was apologizing for it. But but no, maybe because that's a lot of people get apologetic about being obsessive. And, yeah. and I always say, as long as you can control the obsession and it doesn't control mm. you, then it's a characteristic you should be pulling out of your kit bag whenever you need to apply it, if you're in business I'm talking about now. For sure, but no matter how obsessed with basketball I was, no matter how many hours I wanted to put in the gym, I was never going to the NBA. Right. That's the point I'm trying Mate, to make. That makes right? sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, um, real estate, when I got into it in the early days after I dropped my letters in Double Bay and got the opportunity there, was something after – kind of 12 months, one and a half years, two years in the game, I realized, shit, you're really good at this. You're not much good or at anything else or that this is a real strength of yours. Let's harness that. Let's let's go freaking all in and see how far we can take it. What does it do for you? Like does it fill you with anything when you realize, shit, this is something I'm bloody good at? It fills me with energy. It fills me with purpose. It fills me with excitement. Um, I was – one and a half years in and negotiating a deal that I had completely created on my own account off market. So I worked with an agent who was in his fifties. He was not an agent of note. He was not, you hear a lot of these guys who build good careers coming up a top, top agent, a principal. I never came up under a principal or a top agent, just a decent 
or a decent agent, I should say. Um, and because he was a little bit lazy and liked to go on holidays, it gave me the ability to grab the reins and jump into the deep end. And I wasn't waiting for nobody to get back from a holiday. I was young. I was hungry. You said we spoke and interacted when we were young and you could tell that then. Hotshot is not the word I would use, more so determined and focused. Well, which, for me, it just meant energy. Yeah. Like this dude has got plenty of energy. Yeah, correct. And he'll, he'll run an extra 100 metres for you. Correct. That's what I felt. I'm serious. Yeah, no, I appreciate because, that. Because, because uh, let me say something. A lot of the agents were making too much money. Yeah. I know down in Double Bay, for example, yeah. and Bondi. Yeah. They made too much money and they were, uh, you know. Complacent. They are a bit complacent. And yeah. it seems like someone like you worked out that there's a gap here. Mm. There's an opportunity. If I just energise myself a little bit more, the, the deals will come to me. 100%. And, um, and, and so I would, I would create these opportunities. I wasn't waiting for him to come back. I had cold called a lady. She had said she was thinking about selling. I had found a buyer completely off market. It was a four and a half million dollar deal. The equivalent of that now would be like a fifteen million That's dollar a big deal, deal, right? It was a big deal for a kid with zero experience in property, a year and a half in, who just essentially was a glorified telemarketer. Cut a long story short, I brought the buyer through while he was away, got an offer, and then we got to the nitty gritty negotiation, which was where he was supposed to be an expert, right? But because he presented an offer to the vendor, which she wasn't necessarily happy with and kind of said she's not selling, for whatever reason, the price wasn't right emotionally, she wasn't ready. He threw his toys out of the cock, kind of walked out of the negotiation, huffing and puffing and said, forget about this, I'm not interested. My mindset was, as opposed to just focusing on getting the deal done, let's focus on the person to understand what the hurdles are to see if we could overcome them. Um, you know, which I did and I ended up massaging a little bit back and forward. I remember driving to the buyer's house unannounced with the contract because there was like a $200,000 gap to get it done, presented it to them. They ended up revising that number. We did the deal. And at that point was me realizing you're onto something. You know, you, 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 are, you are actually good at this because a 50 plus year old with however many years experience, 10 or 15, couldn't do this, but you could. And from there, it kind of, I was like, let's just build on it. And from there decided I'm going to be a wholehearted specialist in everything I encounter or come across, whether it's NBA basketball or it's a podcast I hear, it's an expert in any field. I'm going to try to identify what I can apply to my practice to continually progress and level up. When you were young, you said something really interesting, a glorified telemarketer. <laughs> I think you should explain that because I, as I understand it, when you first get a gig <sighs> in a real estate agent, they basically, agency, um, they as you're a kid, young kid then, they'll give you a list of leads or you might even have to generate your own list of leads and you just ring everybody up trying to find a vendor. Yeah. Is that right? I, yeah, 100%. I mean it was it was a room kind of not as – I didn't have beautiful velvet on the walls like this, you know, um, and lovely lovely people in the room uh, or Mark Boris sitting there for any <laughs> for any close to, to my imagination. But um, I just got a list and a, and a phone. And my very first day in real estate was my agent saying to me, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get me in the door. That was my objective. Get me in the door. So have purpose when you're calling. Of like, the okay. vendor. Of, of, of people who own real estate in our core trade area. Yeah. I was like, all right. I mean, that doesn't seem too hard. Pretty straightforward. She said, I'm going to do two or three calls. Essentially, what we need to do is let people know we're active in the area. So talk about our past sales. And then from there, you're going to be able to unearth if someone would potentially consider selling if they were offered a good price because we've got a, a couple of really good buyers in this particular pocket who have missed out. I said, cool. So she made like one or two calls in front of me. She goes, all right, see you later. Walked out of the room. So it was me, this list, this phone. Pen and paper. I knew nothing, man. I didn't know what strata meant. I didn't know what, what was land per square meter? 
what's a block of land? You know, man, I grew up in an apartment, two-bedroom apartment shed, the second bedroom with my brother, second half of my life moved to a semi, three-bedroom, one-bathroom that we shared as a family of four. So, you know, land holding was not uh, not in my world, right? So anyway, I just, I just picked it up. I just picked up the, the phone and um, then I started just dialing for dollars. And for years and years and years and years, I just dialed for dollars and I called and I called and then started getting more into, like I said, studying these top real estate agents, what they did, which made them successful. And then delving into the practice side of things, what trainers I could look at to get better at my practice. Um, and I learned kind of early on from a guy called Mark McLeod. I don't know if you've come in contact. He's still my coach today. He's the CEO of Growth for Ray White. In my opinion, this guy is just, he is a, he is a savant of the real estate game. And it's, it's a huge contradiction because you meet him in the word savant versus how he acts are like completely polar opposites. But his practical approach and knowledge is, in my opinion, second to none. And he said this thing that changed my whole practice together, which was frequency builds trust. You know, and so how do I apply that to me making phone calls? Frequency builds trust. He was like, everyone will select an agent for a different kind of, you know, prerequisite list. What's always on that list is is trust. So the more frequently you check in with someone, the more they're going to trust you. So I was like, how can I apply that to what I'm doing to make sure I get one step closer to where I want to go? Okay, if I can unearth or identify a connection with someone on the other end of the phone that they're interested in real estate, that I'm not wasting time, mine or theirs, I'm going to frequently check in with these people to the point that when they are ready to sell, they may not be ready today, they're going to engage me or at least give me an opportunity to pitch for their services. But it's a long game, so you play the long game. I, I, I'm playing the long game now. Now yeah. I'm playing the long game. It's not even, even now when the likes of the show and the likes of the new brand that's coming out, it's not I'm not doing it for now. I'm doing it to get the next generation of people who want to be real estate agents but for what you, I want to build. But where did you get the patience, Gavin, at that time to play that as a 20-year-old? That's a long game. Um, you're thinking, shit, you know, they're probably paying you a small retainer and maybe you got a – Not even. 2700 a month. Okay, so <laughs> it's a small retainer. <laughs> and uh, and you're probably thinking, well, how can I earn a quid? Um, mm. You know, how am I going to get, get on top of this? So that is – at 20, that's playing a long game. I think so. I think it's hard to be patient when you're ambitious. I think it's that – Yeah. You know, it's – it's. I struggle There's with – There's a tension between the huge. two. Huge. And I um, – and I'm very ambitious. Like I talk about this first 15 years for me has just been the foundation of what I'm about to springboard off because the real story, in my view, will be written over the next 10 years, 20 years. That's where – that's the, the the playoff season for me, the postseason if you like. Um, I, I, I don't actually – Where do you get the patience from that? Don't, don't know the answer. I think um, there are certain aspects of my life I'm extremely patient. And there are others I'm just When you're not. impatient, what do you do? A lot of these young guys come in and they don't get success. Or they get frustrated by the roller coaster and the rigors of real estate because let's face it, you know, you get punched in the mouth, metaphorically speaking, yeah, yeah. from morning till night. And that's why most people fail because they quit. They don't want to take it for a long period of time. What would you say to them so they don't quit? Um, you know, if you want to build your business to a high level in this industry, what you need to do is be patient, be able to deal with rejection, have a plan and make sure that your ambitions every single day map towards that plan. And for me, I knew that's what I needed to do in order to get to where I wanted to go. And so I, my perspective on it was not, shit, I got to pick up the, the phone and call these strangers and I don't want to do it and I don't want to be feared of re- rejection, which a lot of young guys do. And you hear that tonalities. Hey, I'm Gavin calling from Ray Yeah, White because they've been pushed I was pumped, Man, I was ready. I was coming into the room. I was, I was loving what I was doing. My, I shift my perspective on it to say, if I can do this well, it'll take me to the next step, which gets me closer to kind of 
where I want to go. So I would identify an opportunity. Then I just frequently check in with these people and I'd have fun with it. I'd be personable on the phone to the point where like three years in, I would be calling people and their home lines. I wouldn't even have to say it's Gavin speaking. Gav, how you doing? What's happened down the street? What's happened up the road? What happened with that sale? And they knew my product knowledge coming into it was second to none because I knew I had to give people value in order for them to want to speak to me. You're a real estate agent, dude. People don't like you. From, from the start to begin with, you need to break that barrier and you need to give people value if you want to be taken seriously. Plus, you know, in my market, you talk about some of these greats. Um, a lot of them are older. So me being young was very unique in the double bay market. So to break into that, I knew my, my edge had to be my, my product knowledge. And that's kind of just what I did year after year after year. And um, that in combination with the likes of those negotiations I told you about, just kind of snowballed to the point of, um, if I continue to do the right thing by people, if I continue to add value to people's lives, um, if I continue to grow and build this brand, you know, it can, it can only end up in a good place over time, you know, and that's just compounded and it's got a very long way to go, but I'm on the way. But one of the things I think is really interesting what you just said, um, because all, a good brand is a trusted brand and, uh, and the starting point for an agent is I don't trust the agent. That's that's the starting point because hundred you know, percent. No, no, that's a general view, okay? It's because true it's true. you just think the agent's in there for the commission. Hundred percent. Good. See you later. Transaction on the next deal. So what you said about trust is quite interesting. Frequency builds trust. With your your you know mentor told you that, or your coach told you that. Still today, Mark. Yep. And I, I just want to break that down a little bit because one of the things that I've found over years is that you know what we are familiar with, we trust. And there's one way to make something, someone familiar about something, and that is to put it in front of them all the time. So one of the reasons people advertise, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you, you might not even look, or Harvey Norman, you might not even hear, look at that. You might not be interested in buying yeah, a lounge sweater or box. It's just Harvey Norman, Harvey yep. Norman. Yep. It's frequency, yep. builds builds familiarity, yep. um, builds trust, yep. and that's an important tenet in any brand. 100%. That's probably, in particularly your brand, in real estate world, trust is a big one. Key. A big one. Key. And uh, so it's it's very interesting your coach has told you that because I, I often say familiarity builds trust and frequency builds familiarity. So he's gone one step beyond that. And it doesn't matter how the frequency is. So in your case, you can't afford to advertise. You're not going to go and advertise nope. like Harvey Norman does. So what you do is you advertise is you ring people up. Correct. And so maybe for those people who are impatient and they're 20 years of age today, and, uh, and I'm not trying to take any Tom Panos's area away, but maybe what the thing you say to those people is, listen, you want to build a brand for yourself so-and-so one day because and the individual's brand can coexist with the name of the agency. So 100%. Gavin Rubenstein can coexist with Ray White or Gavin Rubenstein can co- coexist with Lang and Simmons. Or well, Gavin- you need a key at the start. Yeah, you so- need, otherwise people are – if you're just calling and you have no name in the industry, it's hard for people So it gives you to- cred. Hundred percent. So, but they should coexist. Correct. So it's as just if you're a young agent, it's just as important to bring uh, cred to your own name, build your own name with frequency and familiarity and trust, and therefore brand alongside the big name that you're dealing with. Could be LJ Hooker, whatever it is. Ray White, yeah, yeah. Ray White. I mean, it's it's just that's what you should do. So. Maybe that's a way to sort of deal with their impatience that comes off the back of their ambition that I want to get there in a hurry because if I'm not getting the money, I can't sort of see why the, why the fuck am I doing this? You, it, well, I tell you why the fuck you're doing this because you're actually building a great brand and even if, if none of those people ever buy from me or sell through you, they might refer somebody else 
and even if it's just two of them, you're in. You're in. You're in. So, but they they missed that, and I think it's an issue with the generation, even my generation. Um, you know, you'd know a lot more than me with your corporations and the employees and the things you've you've built over your time. Like you're an expert in this field, but um, they just a lot of them don't get it, but some of them do, and I've become really good at identifying the ones that do and I hold on to them for dear life. I've got a couple of young guys in my firm who I know, you know, Matt Kemeny, Oliver Williams, to to just name a couple that are going to be great, you know, and I, I built a couple of guys who were part of my team when I was in the Double Bay office, opened up my own firm who um, were essentially my assistants for years, came with me on the move. When I moved into the new office, went out on their own, ran their own businesses, and they're the top two performing agents at the firm, Oliver Lavers, Kai Thomas. That's not a coincidence. They, they came up in the school of hard knocks. You know what I mean? Um, and they've now respectively running teams of, of four. So um, I really enjoy the process of finding the good ones because they're hard to find, which I'm sure you would agree with, um, and, and working with them to be and develop a great business. There's a certain gene that, a good real estate practitioner has <laughs> and uh, we want to try and uncover that after the break. So we're going to go to the break when it comes straight back. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, back here with Gavin Rubenstein and we're just talking about, you know, familiarity. We're talking about sort of the, you know, the some fundamentals around building a brand. But I guess at the end of the day, um, you've got a TV show. It's called Lux Listings. And uh, that's probably at the apex of brand building, in my opinion. Why did they cast you or did you cast yourself? Did yeah. you run up and knock on their door? What did you, how did you deal with these guys? Cast myself. I wish, I wish it were that easy. Um, so... You know, essentially the, um, the the show Lux Listings was a concept from uh, a gentleman called Ben Scott who, um, you know, looks after or heads up Kennedy Promotions in this, in this space. He's done a couple of TV shows in the past and he approached myself initially and said, hey, well, we want to build a TV show around you. We've noticed what you're doing. We have understood your story and we appreciate how you market yourself and we think that it's got legs. What do you think? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I've always thought that with the right people. Really? Would you say, fuck yeah? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Because if it was kind of a, a low quality produced production, I had no interest. Yeah, totally. It. And I made that clear to him. I'm like, if it was the right people, because lots of people had approached me over the, the years. And I was like, if it's the right deal, 
I'm all in. And then I'm fuck yeah. Yeah. But if it's just one of these shitty, low produced. Uh, but did he have someone to uh, broadcast it? Did he? Ha- did so he- at the time he didn't. He didn't, right. He's like, I've got a couple sense. of agents we want to build around you. I'm like, cool. He's like, let me just do a pilot. And if you like it, because I've always been extremely fastidious about my brand. Yep. You can roll forward. I said, great. Did a pilot, loved a pilot. Then he had these guys following me around for like a few months. It, it produced uh, episode one, showed it to me. I said, that's, and I hadn't signed anything at the time. I said, that's dog shit. I've got no interest. Count me out. Six months later, gives me another call and he says, I've got Amazon interested. Will you meet with them? Amazon then, to distribute the show. Correct. Yeah. Then I was like, fuck yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, of course I'll meet with Amazon. Had a quick meeting with them. They're like, we want to put Sydney on a pedestal. Our brief is aesthetics. We want to make Sydney look fantastic. Like it's never been perceived before. And at that point I'm like, this speaks to my brand. This is aligned with my passion. I am all in. Um, and then from there, it kind of just rolled on. And, you know, I had no expectations for it to be the most viewed Amazon original to come out of Australia. You know, I, I didn't um, I didn't expect it to get the positive feedback it got. With positive feedback always comes negative feedback. Accepted that too and was prepared for it. Um, but, yeah, it's got to a really great place. My view on doing that was the following. It's going to give me or essentially indemnify my brand. Number two – Oh, it builds a fortress around you. Improve my my profile. But yep. the other big piece is recruitment because I've got ambitions of really growing this thing with the rebrand coming up um, where I could leverage from this. And so, yeah, yeah so far it's, it's hit the target in the bullseye. I mean, you've got to build momentum around yourself. You be part of a movement, Nilly, that attracts everybody. I appreciate that you call it that because I, I call it that particularly in the in the new video. But, um, but yeah. And, but that's what it is. Yeah, correct. Because unless you – build something that other people want to join. Yeah. Then you won't get them and if you don't get the recruits, you won't get the inventory, we won't get the vendors and then you got nothing. You got no business. So a TV show is a great way to do that as long as you're right, as long as it's produced the right way. You know, what is it about Gavin Rubenstein and the show Lux Listings that builds something that's attractive and what is it the attraction that draw new guys or People already been there for a while to you. Yeah. Um, the TV show is now a part of it, but for the last 13, 14 years it hasn't been. So there's been multiple facets that have been in place to create that. Um, for me it started with and, and, and ends with still today being great at what, what it is that I do. You know, doing a great job Reputationally for particularly. Reputation, doing a great job for clients. Uh, the most listings, the most sales, the best results, having people talk about you, being remarkable. What does remarkable mean? Someone making a remark about you. Not always good or bad, but either way they're making a remark. Yeah. Um, you want to hope that when it's about your practice, they're, they're saying good things. So that's where it started with and still is today. From there it follows on to the way I market myself on social media. Um, but you can't do that authentically without having the results and the traction in your business first. You just got to keep the main thing the main thing. No, you can't bullshit. You can't. Because, I mean, you can for a bit, but the you, real you people- You get found out. It's no longevity in that, right? Yep. So then you take it to the marketing side of the process. And then from there, um, opportunities like 
the TV show comes out. Um, I was running a, a conference called What It Takes for a couple of years where I would fly the best real estate practitioners in from the country, sell 500 tickets and put on these day sen- seminars. Um, you know, all these little bits and pieces I did, which led to the TV show. And I am sure that Ben Scott would not have approached me and said, hey, we want to build a TV show around you if I had not done all of these things. So it just didn't fall in your lap. That was work. It's first and foremost to me is work. It's worth work ethic. It's it's actually sacrificing, you know, maybe a couple of extra nights out, a few extra beers to say, this is what I want to do. I'm tunnel vision on it. And no matter what, I'm going to get there. And people along the way just kind of, I guess, have taken notice of that. What is it that's going to say to me, mate, why don't you ring up these guys and uh, see if you can get a job there just like Gavin Rubenstein did to whoever he went to? Yeah, I, look, I'm wholeheartedly me, unapologetically too. So, and that, I'm not for everybody. I accept that too. I know there are a lot of people who don't resonate with what I do and how I do it, and I respect. It does matter fifty percent don't like you, as long as fifty percent do like you. Yeah, I mean, my ratio is, is probably seventy to thirty, depending, maybe a bit more. But um, you know, for me, it's I'm just who you know. Anyone who knows me will tell you the show me is who I am. But what is it? What you tell me is it? Is it honesty? I'm or- I'm, I'm extremely transparent and focused on where I'm going. I'm just honed in on it, you know, and I'm ambitious about it too. And um, you talk about people follow you because, you know, it's a bit of a movement and like all of my people in my longstanding team that have been around since the beginning, you know, have all been drinking the Kool-Aid and it's not for me putting on an act. I'm not, uh, I, I can't have been putting on an act for this long. You know what I mean? It's just who I am and, and my ambitions. So the a, real deal. hundred percent. Do you think it's because they see you as someone who can help them with their ambition. Are you sort of is that is that the image that you're projecting? I can help your ambition to become me. Yeah. Do you think they want to become you? I, I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't. I don't delve into that enough. And if that's the case, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because, like I told you at the start of this conversation, how I got into the game was probably for the wrong reasons. I saw snappy dresses and I saw nice cars, and you know, I didn't want to study at university, but then it became so much more, you know, so whether I'm portraying that or not, I'm, I'm, I'm just being who I am on the show. And I always had the view that if I was authentically me and it was exposed, you know, my practice, my dedication to my clients, my dedication to the craft, my commitment to, to the real estate industry, you know, if that was exposed, it could only lead to good things for me. Okay. Well, you just answered it for me then. So really what you're saying is, um, I wanted to be authentic. Yeah. Um, I want people to think if you come with me, you can be your authentic self because yeah. me, Gavin, I'm my my authentic self. Two, don't join me. If you're a dedicated person, join me. 100%. Because I'm dedicated to 100%. My, my – And this is a craft. This is not uh, a thing you play part-time. No. This is a craft. All in. And you're a practitioner. Yeah. There's no performance. It, it is what it is. And there might be on the stuff, there might be the sideshow. The sideshow is, by the way, is the snappy clothes, the cars, and all the other stuff. They're the sideshows. Yeah, Instagram. That, but, but, yeah. but by the way, everything's got a sideshow. Sure. Every, every, everything's got a sideshow. But the guts of it, what I see, the guts of it, what I just heard you say, you just said the guts of it for me, is dedication to my craft. It's not a, a job you do because you can't get another fucking job. No way. Well, Which I, is, co- I couldn't at the time. But no, but it doesn't matter. It's evolved. You yeah, developed yeah, it. You you yeah. yourself have tried to refine it. Majorly. Every put day, into that still, position. Still doing that. Yeah, of course. So you're saying, join me because this is a craft and I'm dedicated to it. Perspective is a, an interesting topic, but that is, you know, the case. 
One guy in particular, Oliver Lavers, who was my assistant. He was my first salesperson I ever hired. He's with me at the firm now. He's been the top agent there for three years. He's 32 years old. He had it. He's got it. He is, he is that, that level of dedication. This year, he'll write $2.5 million in fees. And the, guy's 30, big. the guy's 32 years old. Oh. Is that his share or that would be the group? That's the, the, group, the group share, share yeah, right? That's big money. So yeah. just to put that into perspective, let's say $2 million to make it easy. It's Two sort of So you've got Two to be selling $100 million worth of real estate. Would that be right? Mm. 2%? Mm. More. More. And, you know, fees are on pressure, particularly in the east. Right. right? So it's really 1.5% to 2% as a range that you work. Right, okay. So it's dropped a little bit. So, yeah. so there's 100 plus million in sales. Yeah. That's that's a lot. So if, if we're saying 100 plus million in sales, that's – Inventory you've got, vendors you've got. That yep. means you've probably got to talk to five hundred million <laughs> to yep. get a hundred million worth of people who are prepared to sell. So that's a lot of that's a lot of work. That dedication. is what that's dedication, dude. He's been with me eight years too. That's, that is dedication. Yeah, but doesn't matter. That is dedication. Yeah, that is brain damagingly difficult to do. Major, but eight years again. There's a lesson in there. A lot of these young guys, the longevity piece, the long game. He always knew long game. Be patient with it. Take your time. Um, and he's done exactly that. The combination of that with sacrifice and working on the craft and it, it ends up in a good place. So I hope that's the message I'm sending. That definitely for the next phase of business for me with the rebrand now going from Ray White to Clean TRG, opening and moving into the new office, retaining Wallara and creating, you know, essentially all of the, this new space for new people is the dynamic I would like to attract. Well, I really want to dig into that now. So you've been with Ray White. Brian and Dan are the greatest. The, the, Some of the greatest There's two of them. There's, yeah. there's Dan and there's Sam. Yep. Sam Dan. runs the the loan market. Well, you've got Dan, Sam, Ben and Brian. Brian. And Brian's a dad. Yeah. And Brian's father may have been Ray White. Correct. I think originally. Or grandfather. Was grandfather was, was it, yep. yeah. So, and they own the Ray White head franchise. Yeah. And um, so you've been with them for a long time Since now. Since I started. Explain the, the new deal. So started at, at a Ray White office when I was 20. And um, that came to an end when I was 31, 32, something like that. I'm 31 actually, so I'm 34 now. And um, at the end of that relationship, which it didn't end on the best terms. It was with, you know, one of their, their top firms. I was the top salesperson and I had been for the group for like six, seven years. And um, Ray White actually supported me to open up my own office up the road. You know, I you when you know, say your own office, what do you mean? What's that mean? What was it called? So I opened up an office called Ray White TRG, which is an acronym for the Rubenstein Group. Yep. And um, it was challenging for them because essentially they were putting me in an area that was heavily operated my current premises in Wallara by Ray White Wallara. And then you had Ray White uh, Double Bay, which is the office I left. Um, and it was a challenging deal to broker. Because amongst the franchisees, right? Because of territory, yeah, yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden this red tape starts coming out. Well, people um, just start saying, "Hang on, that's my postcode." Yeah, right. What are you letting the Rubenstein Group? Correct. Coming into my territory, you're letting the wolf into uh, the hen house. How was that brokered? Was the craziest, coolest, most exciting deal and negotiation of my entire life. And well, tell me like, about it. Oh man, it was like a, it was like an episode out of Suits. You know, I was like a, a short Harvey Specter walking around, just making shit happen, and against all odds, you know, created something that they hadn't done before. Um, there was red tape with the Double Bay office. There was huge red tape with the Willar office. Um, but I brokered a deal in collaboration with the White family to allow me to open, you know, in Queen Street and operate under this name. Um, and since then, I've just had a lot of fun learning about running the business. 
and motivating people and 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 you know had the thought process around well I'm here I may as well now give this a shot and I'm opening up a second premises in Rose Bay a commercial space that I've actually purchased 300 square meters in a new building that I'm currently fitting out that I'll move to as well but to stop or to get through this red tape and not have any of it moving forward, the White family and myself have brokered a new deal, um, which will actually see me leave Ray White as as a group, but still remain part of the White family umbrella of which you've got Ray White, Loan Market, White Partners, HDL Property, and now will be TRG. Just so happens as well, going back to what we discussed, my passion is around aesthetics, it's around branding, it's around marketing. And for a long period of time, even the beginning, I've wanted to develop a, a boutique luxury brand, which I've done for the last 12 months, which I will be rolling out as just TRG with the benefits of um, still being part of that large real estate community. So my thought process was, you know, even if I get the business to 200 employees, which I've got a long way to do still, it's not going to be as fun as competing with 20,000 agents nationwide. So the deal essentially, the contra deal allows me to have build, run my own brand with zero red tape, do it how I want to do it, present my vendors' properties to the marketplace how I want and my agents how I want, um, but still have the benefit of being part of the greatest real estate community in the country. And, and what does uh, the White family's business bring to you at the back end, so to speak? Uh, so for, first and foremost, it's relationship. Me and Dan are tight. You know, um, and and particularly the moving to Alara deal built that relationship, got us really, really tight. Um, and then it's just the community sense of it, the recognition, having that available to my agents. You hit certain levels, and then you're rewarded for it. The yearly awards you have, which is you know based on on com, which I've been you know, a big part of over the last decade, which I enjoy. It's kind of like my championship. I told you I could never compete in basketball. I do compete really heavily in this space. So, you know, it's 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 these points of value that for what we pay, particularly now with the new deal, is is so in line with the value we get. So to me, that's a good business deal. I think a bad business deal is when one party is is getting more than the other. And I'm a big believer that when you've got a mutually beneficial well, that tells me you're getting more than them. No, it's mutually beneficial. Yeah. I think I think it's I think we're we're on an evil playing field. You've worked out a way to sort of be independent, so to speak. Mm-hmm. In other words, be responsible for your own brand, and as you say, not be part of red tape and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, which is hard to maneuver, um, not lose all the benefits of the organisation that you've been with for fourteen, thirteen, whatever many years it is, and that requires someone to sit down and actually gently and uh, delicately negotiate a pathway that works for everybody. Yeah. And which is what you do when you bring vendors and buyers same together. Thing, right? It's the same deal. And it's funny, you know, it's called brokering, but the word broker comes from the word baraka. It's a Arabic word. Right. Like Barack Obama. Yeah, right. Barack He's Obama. Barack Obama that, yeah. comes from that his first name is an Arabic word. Right. And a, a baraka with an ER on the end of a baraka is somebody who brings parties together. It doesn't have to be for business. It can be for a marriage, for example. But it's someone who brings parties together but actually walks a very tight line between the party's interests and disinterests and works out where everybody can actually collide together Meet. without having without smashing into each other. That's what a baraka is. They're like a peacemaker or a dealmaker 
and the word broker there comes off that. And that's sort of what you're doing, that you've done that with the White family. You do it every day with your vendors and your buyers, particularly in tough markets like we currently got. We've got a tough market sure. at the moment. Sure. It's a, there's a dysfunctional it's market. Vendors yeah. got to meet the yep. buyer's yep. pricing. Yep. Buyers are demanding a different price yep. because of all the various reasons, interest rates, inflation, blah, blah, blah. Um, and vendors are still saying, well, shit, hang on, I think I should be getting, you know, a bigger price. And those dis, uh, dysfunctional markets at some stage get brought together and it's a broker or a baraka or someone like you, a practitioner, helps bring those two together so you lose, that dysfunction disappears and you actually have a, bar, a market of a willing buyer and a willing seller, which is what a market is. Correct. A willing buyer and a willing seller, not an unwilling vendor and a willing buyer. It's got to be mutually beneficial. Correct. And, and my brother's helped me through it. I'm not – well, What's Jared done in that, re- that regard? Yeah, he, he's he's – He's the executor with me. I execute on it, but he dots the I's, he crosses the T's. He's unbelievably precise. I remember him when he's he worked a, for me. He was a detailed dude. He's different, man. He's just a di- – and he's a huge part of this. But, um, you know, the Wallara deal that we speak about was a hell of a lot harder than this. And I kind of approached it with a deal and I kind of knew, yeah, a bit of a sidestep there. Let's let's not consider the whole staircase. We want to climb. Let's just think about one step. The first is always the hardest. You know, that Wallara deal coming out of Delaware, that was the hardest deal I've ever done in my life. Um, this kind of flowed a hell of a lot uh, smoothly because I knew if we proved ourselves in, in these three years of operation, it would. So it's always performance first, work ethic first, and, you know, from my view, things spring from that. Your new business, the the Rubenstein Group, TRG. TRG, yeah. TRG, which is interesting because that's – I don't know if you remember, but TRG was an exercise, piece of exercise equipment that people used to use about – 10, 15 years ago, very popular at the time. I got some, I very, very rarely used it, but it was a- Yeah, it was a, like yeah, an app. Yeah, yeah for apps. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it. And uh, it, yeah, I, I bought it. I went out and bought it like I do with every piece of new equipment. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that's a bit of But uh, TRG, um, you're, you're going to move that wholly and solely, that particular new one into yeah. Rose Bay. So, yeah, we're going to retain Wallara as well. And you're going to keep the Wallara? Hell yeah. With a rebrand? 100%. And is your um, vision- to have lots of, you said 200 employees, so to speak, yeah. or 200 um, practitioners. Yep. Is your vision to have franchise of your own floating across the country? I think the franchise, my personal view is the franchise model is somewhat in trouble. Um, the ambition is not to build a, a McDonald's 600 office type vibe. It's not where I'm going. It's bespoke. It's luxury. It's it's for specific markets. It's for specific people. Um, at the moment, my ambition is to get, Wallara and Rose Bay, full and humming. Right. And once I have good synergy there and I've really kind of found my feet, I should say we've really found our feet, um, I'll go from there. But this definitely gives me the ability to say, you know, use my profile that has come from 15 years of work in the right places and now the combination of an international TV show to say, well, why don't I leverage off of that in uh, Turak in Melbourne? And why don't I leverage off of that in, in Brisbane on St. James Street? And I'm not saying I'm, I'm necessarily focused, honed in on this at this point. Like I said, Willara Rose Bay first. My brother's got a great way of like, you know, controlling my ambition. And he's taught me a lot and he teaches me a lot every day. Um, but yeah, the sky's the limit. I have no red tape. And I think, you know, I'm onto something really, really exciting. Bill Maloof as an example. Mm. right? From LJ Hooker. Cool dude, man. And huge respect for him. And I like, we're different, but I, what I like about him, and he's one of the, the, the great guys I always kind of watched from afar. What you see is what you get with him. Yeah. I like that. Totally. You know, it's like, it's like there are some agents who are at the top without naming anybody who, you know, have this 
fake persona and false act, which uh, which is just not authentic. Now, it works for them, and some of them are very successful and credit to them, and that just didn't resonate with me. So I like Bill Maloof around it um, and I've always respected him. And anyway, I was watching, scrolling through content as I do, and I had just seen this profile of him and he had spoken about, you know, he got into real estate when he was 35. And this is the shit that gets me excited because I'm like, I'm 34. I've paid a 15-year dividend daily. Like it's not like if I didn't feel like going to work, it wasn't I'm going to stay in bed. Like no matter how I felt, I've gone daily for 15 years and at every level done it. And I'm only 35 like in November this year. So to me, that makes me excited for the road I'm on and where it's going to lead to, you know, so long as you continue to do right by people. So I'm excited about where it's going to go, man, and um, gives me heaps of energy. And I'd, like I said, I really think the best is yet to come Billy at the risk Mo- of sounding cliche. I often give everybody an opportunity to ask me a question at, at the end of the podcast. Do you have a question for me, Gavin? Definitely. Tell me about staff and scale and, you know, how you go from, say, 30 to 80 to 100 and then 200 and the best way to kind of – because the biggest challenge – you know, is, is people. I mean, I, I'm going through a lot at the moment and then people have their own personal lives and sometimes it comes into business and I don't like, I'm not for complainers and to me business is a place for business, but what, like how do you scale and how do you manage your own mindset around that? I once had the opportunity to talk to someone. When I sold the wizard business, for example, um, I had 250 branches in John Australia. John Simons? And I, and I had 250 branches in Australia and New Zealand. And John John was around with Aussie at the same 250. time. 250. Yeah. And I, I said something to someone, like you just said to me, how do I build or scale a sales team? Because, you know, basically we're selling mortgages like you sell real estate. Sure. You come to see us and we sell you a mortgage. What's appropriate for you? He said to me, now this guy was the managing director of a vacuum cleaner business globally. But this particular vacuum cleaner business was the most expensive vacuum cleaner. Kirby? Yeah, you could buy. His name wasn't uh, Alan Heron. Alan Heron. Oh, shut up. And Alan Heron, who's a friend of mine. No way. Alan was the global president of this business and this business was owned by Warren Buffett. Yeah. So Warren Buffett owns this business, okay? No way. And this is a mad business across the world. Crazy. It was crazy. So Alan said to me, he said, look, the way you got to think about it is like this. He said, don't try to seek perfection. That's the first thing. He Ugh. said, it's all about imperfection. That's where I'm stuffing up. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, ex, and have lower your expectations and you'll have less disappointments yeah. in relation to what you're doing. He said, but think of your whole organisation, that is all the salespeople, as a comet. And he said, if you see a comet, if you imagine a comet, you've got the comet and you've got a tail at the back of the comet. He said, but the, the real bright, shiny part, the part that has all the gravity, the gravitas, but all the gravity is right in the middle inside the comet. But on the outside, it's very, very shiny. And he said, what happens with the comet ordinarily is parts of the front part of the comet flick off and go different directions and parts of the tail drop away. But the main piece of the comet always exists. So he said, when you're seeking salespeople or people to join you, assuming all the things that you said before about them as in terms of characteristics. Seek out those people. Yeah, get the best best salesman in the country if you want. But that individual will sit on the top of the comet on the shiny bit and expect that individual to leave you at some stage and try and do what you do. And they'll back themselves. I can do what Gavin's doing. I can do what Mark's doing. 
doing. Good luck. But when you, yeah, but doesn't matter. They, but don't don't even think about that. Just expect that to happen. Yep. There, and if it doesn't happen, great. If it sure. does happen, you're not disappointed. Yep. But in the other part of the recruitment, look for those people who don't have that same level of ambition but want to be really good at what they do. They're dedicated. Yep. They're hardworking. Yep. They understand the client. Yeah. They might not be the have quite the ability you have in terms of brokering these things. Sure. But they sit in the middle of the comet. And that's where your bulk of your people are going to be. 80%, 80-20 rule applies. 80% of your people are going to be in there. They're the people you're hunting for. They'll be with you in 15 years' time. Yep. Then at the back of the comet's the tail. They're people you will recruit, but, you know, they're going to let you down. They're not going to do the same amount of deals as you ever expected. They might be lazy. They might, might want to work on Saturday afternoon or if a client rings on a Sunday, they're not going to turn up. They're going to sit at the back of the comet. They're getting – some of these guys are new recruits. They're going to be pulled by the begin, the middle of the comet through gravity. They want to be in the middle of the, the comet, but they just don't have enough to get it done and they're going to fall away. Yeah. Okay? So this is about lowering your expectations – you'll have less disappointment, so you get less frustrated. But honing in on that building, that middle of the comet piece, getting every other part too, that's okay. That, but some of these people are going to fly away and do their own deal or just going to drop off because they're hopeless. But you're trying to nurture that thing in the middle, the middle one, the I don't want to call it the average Joe, yeah. but the person with enough the ambition of it. but not too much. Yeah. Gets dedication. Yeah. But not going to work themselves into the ground so that they, you know, they're going to be exasperated or, or just fade away, you know, just have a meltdown. You're looking for those individuals and that's how you build scale in people because your business is a people business. 100%. If you don't have people, you don't have inventory. 100%. Therefore, you don't have yep. the sales. Yeah. So that's what I do in my mortgage business, exactly what I still do. And that came from Alan Heron who was the president global president of a business called Kirby, which was owned by Warren Buffett. And I think Alan probably still is the global president. I think these days he lives in Puerto Benus in… Uh, Marbella. Marbella. He, he lives he, in Marbella. He's yeah, in one of the best showman salespeople I've ever met. I actually dated his daughter when I was 17 Well, for like two years. Well, he was um, – he, he became he and I are great mates. I haven't seen him for a while because he's been living overseas. But Alan and I were great mates when he first came to Australia. He's younger than me. But I met him as a Scottish guy and uh, Legend. he had so much energy, I couldn't believe it. And he had watches with diamonds yeah, and gold and shit level. like that. And he used to hold these conferences once, more than once a year. But, and I just, and he's, then he started explaining to me how the business work. And I said to him, I got this wizard business, what do you think? And he gave me some advice. And I thought to myself, anybody who can open up a business that sells door to door in Saudi Arabia, Really expensive Ten vacuums. Ten grand a pop or something. Yeah, crazy yeah, price yeah. vacuum cleaners. They so can do everything. They can mop your house, clean your water. Yeah. Um, and give, sells them a credit card at the same time to pay for it. Mm. You want to something. It's got to right? something. Yeah. Got to be good at something. So that's what I would say. And if you get a chance to talk to Al, ask him about the conversation. But that's the dude you want to talk to. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. He um, First time I ever went to Europe, just really quickly, I know a shorter time, I was 17. I'd never gone with my parents. Like I said, they never took me, but I was dating his daughter. So he had flown me over, first time I had ever gone to Europe. And he picks me up um, in, in, in the airport in his car, driving like 250 miles an hour. He goes, tomorrow we're going to have a, a proper day. And he had this Carrera GT, you know, those long Porsches at the time. I'd never been anything like this. And he took me like 280 miles per hour on the open roads in Europe. And those are the little events that I remember where I said, you know, one day I want to be able to. So it's just crazy. How well, you, you dated it. his daughter. Yes. I dated his sister-in-law, Audrey. 
I know, I know Audrey was his daughter's mum's sister, so yeah, it was yeah. Jackie's sister. Yeah, Jackie's sister, yeah. I Man. Yeah. Man, what a no, crazy how the universe works. 40 years or something, but anyway, it's going to make a long time. That's great. Well, really good to see you. Gavin. No, look, I, I mean, just uh, really appreciate you having me on, so thank you. All the best to you, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast.